Hello and welcome to the Mindful Coach Podcast. And I'm your host, Brett Hill. I'm a mindful somatic coach and founder of the Mindful Coach Association. I meet a lot of coaches working with the Mindful Coach Association. I'm so inspired by their stories and the courageous work that they're doing that I created this podcast so you can hear them too. If you're aligned with this work, then join us at themindfulcoachassociation.com where you can list your services for absolutely free and receive invitations to community meetings where you can network and meet your colleagues. We hope you'll join us. And now, The Mindful Coach Podcast. So welcome to this edition of The Mindful Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Hill. And this week, we have an amazing opportunity to talk with Jim Fuller. Jim bursting into my attention because of a specialization that's near and dear to my heart, which is mindful communications. Uh, and so once I looked into Jim's expertise and offerings, I felt like I've got to have this guy on the show. So let me tell you a little bit about him. Jim Fuller has lived a colorful global life from barefoot backpacker to corporate leader, fire dancer, and a traditional tattooist. Kindergarten teacher to motorcycle courier, masseuse and reflexologist to labor and travel consultant. So this is that's a lot of hats. It's a lot of roles to play in life. But for the last decade, he's run his own executive leadership coaching practice and international retreat company in the Himalayas, Bali, and Australia. He is a dedicated partner and father who loves surfing and meditation and the author of the award-winning book, no less than the art of conscious communication. You can also see him delivering a TEDx talk on that topic on YouTube. So welcome to the show, Jim. Brett, thank you so much for having me as a guest on your show. Absolutely. I couldn't avoid it as a like compelling topic because my heart and soul has been around conscious communication and mindful communication specifically for quite a while. How did you, I mean, you, all of these roles, you sound like you're quite the adventurer in a certain way, like, let's try this and let's try this and all of that kind of like the kind of person who tries on lots of things. And somewhere in the, there's a, th maybe there's a thread here that where mindfulness and the ability to be, just be present with people is a thread that potentially weaves all this together? Or how did that, how did that light up for you in your life? Yeah, it's a, it's a big question. And, um, you know, initially back in those days where I ended up, you know, wearing all the different hats, I was just following my passion for travel really and, and to immerse myself into foreign cultures. Uh, you know, I, yes, I was very adventurous, uh, I was driven to make sure I didn't walk the standard path, you know, the standard program that we get taught here in Australia. I'm guessing it's the same in America because we've adopted a lot of our Western culture from, from the States, which is go to school. If you can get into university, go to university, get a job, mm -hmm. get the career, climb the ladder, build the house, and you will have happiness. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I never subscribed to that. In fact, I ran the opposite direction from that program and I lived a very alternative life. Going, no, thank you, please. <laughs> yeah, no, that is not me. <laughs> um, so, yes, look, I spent a lot of time and I, and I became very enamored with the Indian subcontinent. And uh, it feels like my second home now after first mm. traveling there in the early 90s and then spending a lot of time there throughout the 90s and then going back each year. Uh, and so in India, meditation, contemplation, practices like yoga, uh, introspection, these are 
par for the course. This is quite well accepted um, and practiced a lot. So I was exposed to these sorts of things in my 20s. I didn't have a dedicated practice to, to mindfulness per se, but I was certainly aware of it. Uh, it wasn't until my 40s, actually my early 40s, when I decided to actually create a dedicated mindfulness meditation practice. And so now 10 years down the track, I'm really starting to enjoy the benefits of cultivating that aspect of mind. Mm. Mm. So um, in the, you know, Indian traditions of mindful of meditation, uh, and I'm no, just, you know, transparency here, I'm no expert on this topic, but I have uh, studied with and been part of uh, groups who have been inspired by and led by um, those from lineages uh, of the era of that area. And so I'm, a lot of that is, is a, a, a meditation sort that's fairly transcendental in nature, I would describe it in the sense of connecting up to, you know, the, uh, the cosmic goodness of the world and, and all that, that opens up to one. Was that, was that the kind of thing you were doing at first or was that related to the kind of thing you were exposed to? Because there's also another more Buddhist contemplative practice, which is, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, still celestial in some ways, but not quite as um, focused. I don't know if I'm making any sense or not. Uh, yeah. I yeah. Really yeah. Understand the, his, the histories as well as I should probably. Yeah. Yeah, no, you are making sense. Yes. Um, the transcendental forms of meditation, which, which can also include what they call a bhajan and a bhajan is a, a song, very repetitive song. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. quite often you just repeat the same lyric over and over again. And when done, especially in a group setting, um, which I've been lucky enough to sit in some very, very, um, special, ritualistic and holy and um, respected mm -hmm. circles of um, priests. We, we would call them priests, but they're sadhus mm -hmm. um, with, with top quality musicians sitting in circles and in, in temples at festivals, singing these bhajans long enough that you, you literally do transcend. And what you're mm -hmm. actually transcending is the sense of ego, the sense of self, the sense of being separate from, which is arguably an illusion anyway, this idea that, you know, the ego is an illusion. It's a necessary one. Mm -hmm. We need it to function, but it's an illusion nonetheless. And so through those um, traditional bhajans and, and transcendental meditations, then you can escape that sense of separation and you feel like you're one with everything, which is quite a beautiful experience. And then you have the Buddhist, the more traditional Buddhist mindfulness meditation, which is the practice of simply observing whatever you can notice showing up in conscious awareness. And, and, you know, Buddha quote unquote found enlightenment actually sitting under a tree in Northern India, just outside Varanasi. Um, I've been to that spot as well. And it's, you know, you can go and see the tree that he would sit under in the, the later years of him starting to formulate and then be able to communicate his understandings from introspection and meditation. Um, mm. So, yeah, there's, there's both different styles of meditation. They both have their benefits, you know, and then there's the more Zen 
form of focused attention, which is a form of meditation where they will, will focus attention to certain energy centers, energy locations in the body, the chakras or like this. And the idea of being able to move energy with your visual imaginative powers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which, yeah. That's, I spent a lot of, a lot of years working with that specifically and was, uh, kind of walked away from a path where I was supposed to, you know, be leading those kinds of things. And, uh, but with a preference towards being more focused interpersonally. And I feel like, you know, from what you all described that somehow you've managed to do something similar because there's all this, you know, inner work to become, you know, connected up and down, I call it up and down the stack using a technology phrase up and down. And then yeah, there's yeah. in and out, right? And so when I read your work and about the retreats and your offerings and your focus on communications, that's very interpersonal as opposed to intrapersonal focused. So how is it that that aspect of these, uh, uh, so, so you've got these skills where you're, you know, you've connected up with these other cultures and you've done this work inside um, to you know, wire up a fairly um, skillfully resolved uh, inner inner network, so to speak, a neural network. And now you're taking that and you're saying, now let's make this work interpersonally. And because when I read mm. the work that you're doing, a lot of it's about how to help people integrate and, and give voice to and, and act out in, or act in alignment with their own inner knowing in a way. Am I making that up or is that, does that describe what you do? No, you've, yeah, you've described um, really well. Um, you know the the journey and and the journey continues. The the in the intra, so the 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 introspection, the intra communication, the intra work, is fundamental to the interpersonal. Mm. You know the 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 two of them um, are a symbiotic relationship that improve each other, and so communication I, I believe the place to start improving and becoming more conscious in our communication is in our communication with ourselves yeah which is our communication with yeah our internal communication in our mind and body which is our communication with life so our our uh, the quality of our mind is the quality of our version of reality our relationship with life itself so if you want to improve your relationship with life you must be improving your relationship with yourself which is your internal communication and communication with our environment learning to listen to our environment and mm -hmm. and also communicate with our environment and then obviously the interpersonal communication and our ability to communicate with others is largely affected by the quality of our state of mind. Exactly. You know, if you imagine yeah. just in a very practical term, if somebody is very unhappy, you know, generally in their life, very unhappy, maybe they're, maybe they're caught in anger quite often, um, you know, or they're, they're, they're frustrated or they're, they're, you know, they're experiencing negative emotions a lot in their life, wherever they go whoever they're speaking to, whichever context they're in, they're the common denominator. So the quality of their internal world is this, right? Their ability to be able to see you clearly, 
to be able to seek to understand your point of view or to be curious about where you're coming from or to, to communicate effectively with you, which means to understand you, their ability to do that is very limited, you know, because there's so much noise going on in their eternal world, so much suffering. So the work that we do on ourselves to smooth out the creases, to create a foundation of equanimity, you know, this calm centeredness actually enables us to be able to listen much more effectively and communicate more effectively with others as well. Mm. So when you start to, that was beautifully said, um, whenever someone comes to you, like to, um, you know, they, they want to be a more effective communicator and you start saying, well, in order to do that, you have to start working on yourself. Do you get people going, wait, wait, what well, I want to, you know, I want the skills. I want to, I want the, the, that, the communication hacks. I don't, you know, as opposed to, oh, I'm going to have to go digging through the, the, you know, the chaos of my own inner world. Yeah. And we can get to some hacks straight away <laughs> as well. Um, this is what I would say to these people. And at the same time, if you would like to work with me and if you would like to um, engage my services and have me help you, then I'll be showing you how you can do some work on improving your relationship with self as well. The two need to ha be happening consequentially, you know, concurrently. And so we'll, we'll do both of those, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, and it's the same thing. It's the same thing. My relationship with self is my relationship with life is my relationship with you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so when you show um, how did you then get to a situation where you decided to do these retreats, which because you have several retreats that you offer and they look, you know, fabulous reading the descriptions on your website. And I'm just curious as to how you came about or made the business decision to to go ahead and do that. I mean, there's could be a significant risk in, you know, putting yourself uh, in a situation just from, a, you know, dollars and cents point of view. And, and also considering other coaches out there who could be also looking at potentially doing something like that, or maybe even haven't thought about it. What would you have to say yeah. to to them about, you know, that kind of a, of a business motion? Yeah. The, the first retreat was the the Himalayan, the mindful leader retreat in the Himalaya. And it was the manifestation of a calling, which first, uh, the first seeds were sown within me in 1998. I had found this family in a Himalayan, above of a Himalayan village uh, on the side of a mountain. And I ended up living with them and falling in love with this family and this village. They're my family to this day. They're my Himalayan family to this day. And when I was there, I connected with their son. We, we became brothers. And when I was there, I said to him, I've got this feeling I'm going to bring people here. I don't know what that looks like, but I just feel, I have a strong feeling. I'm, I want to bring people here. And I want to get them away from their microwaves and computers and cars and buildings. Mm -hmm. And I want to get them here in this stunning nature and get them cooking on a fire and um, get their hands in the dirt, so to speak, you know, and, and sleeping in a tent out here in these mountains. And Papu, my brother said to me at the time, he said, 
he's a he's a conservationist and also a trekking guide. And he said, well, let's take them trekking in the mountains. We'll take them walking in the mountains and we'll pick up rubbish. <laughs> let's pick up trash. That is <laughs> such a beautiful metaphor. I can't believe it. You know, and I said, that's amazing. I said, that's amazing. <laughs> that and I went amazing. home. <laughs> and I, that was in 1998. Yeah. Then in, then in 2013, 10 years ago, I was studying coaching and I was in the room and I was actually um, crewing, crewing for the speaker. I'd, I'd already done the course, but I was volunteering to be up the back and, and be crew. So I was filming the facilitator. She was speaking and I had this light bulb moment. I just literally oh, wow. downloaded the whole idea. So this was from 1998 to 2013, that many years later. And I went, oh, yeah. it's a, it's a leadership retreat. I'm going to take leaders to the Himalayan mountains and we're going to, and this, I downloaded all the content and the name. It was leaders in life. And I was like, Oh wow. I almost dropped the <laughs> camera. I was meant to be filming. <laughs> and, uh, and, and we'll go in and we can pick up rubbish and we can do the whole thing, right? And so I went home to my then wife and I was all excited. And I said, I'm going to run a retreat in the Himalaya. And she looked at me and she went, you're going to do yeah. this, aren't you? And I'm like, yeah, I, I have to do this, right? So then I went to my accountant and I said, I'm going <laughs> to yeah, I'm gonna run this retreat. This is what it is. And I told him all about it. And he said, that's amazing. And he said, um, you know, I can't believe why you're going to do this. And I said, because it scares me. The idea of doing it scares <laughs> wow. me. So therefore I have to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he said to me, um, he said, look, the risk is, um, significant in, and so you need to set up a, a company. You, you shouldn't do it under your name. You should set up a company because for legal and logistical reasons, yeah. it'll mitigate the risk against you, you personally, et cetera. And I said, okay, well, how do I do that? And what will that cost? At the time I was, I had maybe two pennies to rub together. Nice. And he said to me, it's going to cost you $1,300 to, to form a company. And I said, oh, all right, well, that idea is going to have to get car parked because I don't have $1,300. <laughs> and he looked at me, he's still a friend of mine today. And he came on the first one, my accountant, <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, he said, I believe in you. I'm going to pay, I'll pay to set the company up. And I oh, said to him, oh, wow, man, like I'll pay you back. And he said, no, 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 I don't want you to pay me back. He said, I want to pay to form the company and I'll come on the first retreat with you. And that was in 2013. And mm -hmm. since then we've run the retreat oh, nine times now and um, changed lives. And not only did we pick up rubbish, not only did we pick up rubbish, but one of the clients one year decided to invest some money to, to donate some money to set up a, a rubbish rubbish bins in the village and a rubbish collection program. And then some years after that, so we've got an education program and rubbish bins in the village and a collection service that we paid for. And then a philanthropist got in touch with me and wanted to donate money. And we built a school in this village as well. Mm. So the, and, and there's a couple of um, school children that we sponsor to, to go to school there as well. And so look, it's a beautiful story that is continuing. We had to pause over COVID uh, and we're going to be resuming again next year in October 2024, if anyone's interested in coming.
Uh, sure, I'll be sure to put a link to in the show notes for people to take a look because it sounds amazing. Yeah. Now, you also do retreats in other places besides there. Um, yeah. Are, are there some other stories around connecting to those locations as well? Yeah, I had the, the Himalayan retreat is not for everybody. It's very adventurous. Right? We we walk off the beaten it's track. We have pack horses yeah, and walking. guides. Yeah, it's yeah, walking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, one of the days we walk the whole day in silence and we walk very, very slowly. I mean, mm. like if you flew over us in a helicopter, it would look like we were stationary. <laughs> That's how slowly we walk, right? right? And it's a mindfulness day. It's a mindfulness meditation, walking meditation. Anyway, it's rough and ready. You know, we're camping in tents, we're cooking on a fire, etc. So there was a client of mine here in Australia and she said to me, Jem, I've heard wonderful stories about this retreat, but it's not for me. You know, I like my creature comforts. I don't want to be up there. She said, would you consider, would you consider running a similar retreat, but in a five-star villa in Bali with spa treatments and cocktails? And I said, well, it sounds like a good idea. Actually, I just might. <laughs> yeah. So I did. So I found a property in Bali and I started running that. And she said to me, actually a good, I think a good niche. Um, I think niche, you say niche over there. We say niche yeah. here. Mm -hmm. A good market for you would be women if you run a woman's only retreat and I didn't even think about the fact that I'm a man and I was running a woman's retreat. I just put it on. I just did it. And, uh, and I, for five years, I ran a woman's only retreat and I, and I felt very honored to and be able to hold space your, for these women. Retreat for women. What was your, what was your theme for the women? The, well, the content is similar to the content in, in the Indian retreat. We look at a reconnection to self sense of functional sense of who am I, a reconnection to being part of the greater system. So how do I access flow, etc. Mm. a reconnection to purpose, a sense of purpose or meaning to my life and a reconnection to others. How do I more effectively understand, have compassion and empathy for and connect with and communicate with other people, especially people who are not like me. You know? So they're the four mm. conversations that we have and that's the same in, in Bali as well. So it wasn't specifically, the content wasn't specifically written for women, but by having a woman's only retreat, it was, it was creating a safe space uh, for these people to um, drop into their own vulnerabilities and drop into their own space and, and explore because it's quite a deep program. The conversations get quite profound. So that was yeah. that, but we've opened up Bali now. Bali's for everybody because I had, I had um, men saying to me, why can't I come? And so we've opened that one up. <laughs> well, that's, yeah. that's great that you explored that territory. And now you do have some content that you've written. You said you, you, the content wasn't written for women, but you, you, you do have some content that you've written for men. Is that right? Did I read that right? Yeah, yeah. My first book, which I wrote during COVID, uh, I started out writing The Art of Conscious Communication, just that. And I had a, a book writing mentor and she said to me, Jem, you need to pick an audience. If you're writing too broadly, the book won't sell. So you need to pick an audience. And I went, oh, okay. And she suggested to me, she said, I think you should write this book for men. Um, mm. So I, I thought, yeah, great. Because similar to over there in the States, here in Australia, we have over the generations gone by, we have created this this cultural stereotype of man where mm -hmm. you know we, uh, we tell our boys 
don't cry like a girl. We tell our boys to mm-hmm. suck it up and harden up and toughen up and, and we teach mm-hmm. our boys that it's yeah. not okay to be emotional, right? So we, right. we excommunicate mm-hmm. these boys mm-hmm. from their emotional selves. And then we, we wonder why we then have these generations of men who can't express their feelings and then it ends up in violence sometimes, quite yeah. often. Um, so anyway, I, I thought, yeah, look, there is a, a lot of reparation we could be doing as communities there. And, and I think that it's time for us to rewrite those old, outdated stereotypes of what it is to be a man. I yeah. think we need to do that, you know. And so I wrote the book for Ur- men, urgently. but interestingly <laughs> enough, it's, it, yeah, but interestingly enough, it's mainly women who buy the book and I get emails from women saying, thanks for writing the book. Thanks now I've got to try and get my husband or my brother or my son to read it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's interesting. You know, I, I find that quite interesting because I agree completely. And I think the damage done is, is astronomical, um, immeasurable. And, yeah. and that's why I, I, I'm not joking when I say this is, this is past due, I think, and urgently needed. So I'm very interested yeah. in this topic. And also, like you say, the resistance in a certain way to that. So the men who are who are open to, you know, there's also a, a class of, of, I'm just going to put in quotes, male and finger quotes, you know, um, yeah, men yeah. who don't identify that way and are actually kind of, I'm, I'm going to overstate this, victims of their own sensitivity and a too harsh of a culture. Um, and so there, there's kind of all sides of this, but I would like to ask you a question. It's like, if you were to say to like uh, a male audience, like wh- what are the, excuse me for a second. If you were to say to a male audience, I'm going to pause here so I can edit that out. If you were to say to a male audience, like, here are some things about communication that can help you connect, you know, embody your ma- your masculinity and also be connected. Uh, what, what, what might you say? Are there things you can say about that in specific or in general that uh, would resonate with, uh, you know, the people who can hear it? Yeah, there's there's lots to say, and even whether you whether you're choosing to speak to males or females or people who mm. identify as either, um, within that there are still subcategories of different behavioural styles, and then there's the 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 multitudes of different versions of personalities due to experience and story making up, and you know, and how we become who we are. So. We can be, we can have broad stroke generalizations, um, mm-hmm. which can be helpful still, and and also respecting the fact that there are always exceptions and idiosyncrasies and anomalies, obviously. But you know, in a broad stroke generalized fashion, I encourage men, anyone, but in the case of this conversation, men, to start to explore some time to sit and practice some introspection, practice some contemplation to sit and just explore perhaps what might I be feeling right now, rather than what am I thinking and what am I, what are my goals? What am I, what's the result I'm trying to get? What am I trying to fix? Cause quite often the masculine is results focused and wanting to fix problems, which has its place. 
it's also nice to sometimes just sit and observe, you know, and if you're somebody who doesn't normally um, communicate in terms of how you feel about things, perhaps just to sit and practice a mindfulness practice of observing your physical body, your mental and physical body. See if you can notice any sensations that might be akin to feelings. And if you could give language to them, you don't have to, but if you could give language to them, what might you be feeling? And it mm -hmm. can be anything. There's no right or wrong. So that's the first step. And then with someone that you trust, someone that you have an intimate relationship with where you feel safe, ask them, do you mind if I start practicing trying to express my feelings with you? I'd like to start exploring what that might look like, you know, because a lot of us, the, the result of that cultural indoctrination we were talking about before is that a lot of men, they only know calm, switched off, excited, like let's go get the goal or angry. Mm -hmm. That's the only language they've got around their emotional states. But there's this beautiful palette of every variation of emotion in between those to explore you know, and then to ex explore the vocabulary with, and then to explore the communication of that with the people that you love that are around you, that are close to you, you know. Mm. Oh, so well said. I love the framing of the, you know, calm or excited or angry. Because um, those are the things that are, you know, culturally like, okay. Uh, and yeah. like you also said, there's there's a whole spectrum of experience that can happen, and all of the above, or and stuff in between, ambiguity mm. and you know guilt and disappointment and shame, and as well as on the positive side, you know, curiosity and enthusiasm, and and then in a deeper way, you know, like mm, the urge to be helpful. You know, and nurturing mm. as well. You know, and mm. I love that uh, that aspect in in anyone, but in particularly in men who, when you know, I see that in a well grounded way, they just want to they just want to take care of, of every hurt creature on the planet. And <laughs> and I really like yeah. that. And, and I, you know, I'm projecting, of course, but uh, still, it's yeah. uh, it's a beautiful thing to see when it comes out. In yeah, your I, I I agree. I agree with you. I think that I think that more people than not. In fact, most people, underneath their insecurities or their their um, their confusions or their dysfunction, underneath it all, are good people. You mm -hmm. know, you imagine this scenario: there's the workman standing on the building site, and they're having a smoko. We call it here in Australia a smoko, right? When they're having a break, <laughs> and 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 a woman walks past, and one of the guys wolf whistles like. Whew, Right? objectifies mm. the woman. And the, one of the other guys might call out and go, you know, oh, oh, you're beautiful, beautiful woman. Hey, look over here or whatever. So they're, mm -hmm. they're behaving in a way that's not okay, right? But they're doing it with each other because they kind of feel like that's what they should do. Um, and none of them speak up and say, hey, we shouldn't whistle at that woman in a in a rude way none of them say that to each other because they're too scared to say that to each other but do you know what i reckon if you got them individually and sat them down and asked them and they felt safe to be completely honest each of them would say no that didn't feel right mm -hmm. each of them would mm -hmm. say it doesn't feel right to objectify women they know deep down inside that 
it's not quite right. But just culturally, we haven't given our men the, the tools or the ability or the courage or the permission to start calling things out like this, mm. you know, and say, hey, that's not okay. Also, another scenario, imagine there's um, a few guys and they're going out for beers together and one of them suffers anxiety. Anxiety, but his friends don't know that because he can't say that he suffers social anxiety because that's a weakness, right? So he, they don't know. Mm. And so his friend says, come out for a beer. And he says, oh, no, no, I think I'm just going to go home. I don't feel well. I'm, a, I'm feeling a bit sick in the stomach or something. I'm not feeling well. And his friend goes, oh, come on, don't be a pussy. Come out for a beer. Man come up. on. Yeah, right, right. Man up. Come mm -hmm. and have a beer, mate. Stop whinging. And he goes, no, I'm really not feeling well, right? So that's the scenario A. Imagine if it could be like this. Hey, we're going for a beer. Would you like to come? Oh, no, nah, man, I'm feeling not feeling too well. And, and his friend goes, oh, I've noticed that a bit with you lately. Are you okay? What's going mm. on? Oh, nothing. I'm okay. Really? Talk to me, man. You can talk to me. I'm your brother. What's going on? And he goes, look, I, I suffer from anxiety. Oh, wow. Really, man? Oh, geez. I've... I've had that too. Hey, I've been seeing this psychologist. She's really great. She's been really helping me with anxiety. Can I give you her number? Can I introduce you? Oh, that'd be lovely. Or, hey, do you want to just come home and watch a movie? Or like we could order some pizza or something? Or do you want to talk yeah. about it? Imagine that, right? Yeah. When, when, when male friends could actually lean in and be there for each other and be vulnerable with each other. But so many men don't even conceive that as an idea you yeah. know i i really resonate with this in a profound way i um i sometimes imagine and this is truly a fiction but i imagine a culture what would it be like to grow up in a culture where having where people having each other's back was normal yeah. What would that be like? And I think I think about that sometimes because because it's so completely the opposite in the United States and in other places. But it's very much like, well, you're on your own and you need to duke it out and you need to show up and persevere. And, and these days there's this Superman mentality, superhero mentality, where if you don't show up and do the work, you know, 47 jobs, 80,000 hours and suffer and lay yeah. yourself down so that you can obtain and, and perform, then mm. then you don't deserve success. And if you get yeah. ill, well, that's just because you're weak, you know, and you, you didn't, you made the wrong decisions longer. I'm kind of getting wrapped up in my own story here, but the, no, the, yeah, it's the, true. Point, the, the point here being that we don't know what it's like to be in a culture like you just said, where instead of someone saying, "Well, you know, you need to you need to do all that. You need to lay down your health for your work. You need to lay down your mental health for your for your culture," so you mm. can do the the cat calls and the objectification and the um, you know not being the in the relationship or the the husband or the father that you want to be or should be, because your job demands too much of you. Um, mm. And that's just the way that it is. And it's like, yeah. as a versus a culture where your job and your is supportive of the fact of you're going to be a better employee if you're ha if you have a happier home life. And the way to yeah, do that yeah. is a happier home that. life and a healthier state of mind. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. more well-being. And yeah. 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 Absolutely. Look, there are, there are the, yeah, there are those of us that are trying to 
affect that change. You know, that's what my book mm-hmm. is about and, you know, the work that I do and, uh, and the work you do. And we're not alone. You know, there's, I'm, I'm, I'm meeting more and more people who are singing from the same song sheet as us and, yeah, and yeah. doing what we can to affect this change and, and change is inevitable. I mean, it's, and if you, you only watched mainstream news, if your only source of the outside world was mainstream news, then you would be completely depressed with humanity because that just feeds all of the terrible stuff. But I actually yeah. make an effort to go and look for positive news, global news, real news, but positive news that doesn't sell. Sure. Um, but it's curated and it's there if you want to go look for it. And so that gives me hope because there are lots of people out there doing wonderful things and there's lots of wonderful um, improvements in humanity that are happening. So we can rest it's assured. With absolutely that. true. And I have to say that that is exactly the reason that the Mindful Coach Association was created was to bring us together because there is a lot of fabulous work. There's, there are a lot of people like you out there doing really powerful, important work. And the sort of exact reason for this podcast is to get that message out there. Um, yeah. And so I want to thank you for doing the work that you're doing and for being a guest on the show. Uh, it's been really great having you here. And so those of you who are hearing this, uh, you know, check out Jim Fuller, J-E-M-F-U-L-L-E-R, jimfuller.com. Go visit, see what he's up to, check out the book, check out the TED Talk, look at the offers he's got there. He's doing some amazing work in an important, important way. You can tell he's really embodies the message and the meaning and the connection to a deeper place. And, um, and Lord knows that's exactly what we need these days. So, so thank you for being a guest on the show and for all the great work that you're doing. Oh, thank you again, Brett. It's uh, been an honor to be a guest on your show. I appreciate it. And uh, so that's it for this episode of the Mindful Coach Podcast, and we'll talk soon. Thank you. And that's a wrap for this edition of the Mindful Coach Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this presentation. And if you did, follow us and leave us a review. If you're a coach or helping professional that values mindfulness in your work, browse over to mindfulcoachassociation.com and create a free community profile describing your services so the world can find you. And you'll be invited to exclusive community meetings where you can meet your colleague. I'm your host, Brett Hill founder of the Mindful Coach Association, coach and coach trainer teaching the Mindful Coach Method. You can find out more about me at themindfulcoach.com. Until next time, stay present.